Isaiah chapter 40, 25 to 31. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who, He who brings out the starry host by, one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not the one of them, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel? Uh, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by, by God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar in, on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is the word of the Lord. I am as well. Uh, why don't we say another word of prayer uh, to open up this time with the, in the word. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, for the testimony and the stories of all the church members, God, that shared. Thank you for your faithfulness. And it truly is a story. It's your story, God, a story of your goodness, of your greatness, of how you have been good and constant and faithful through it all. And as we go into the 38th year, God, we pray that over our church, God, that we would continue to be a church as after your heart, that we'll be spirit-filled, that we'll be gospel-centered, that we would uh, center our lives around you and that we will make disciples of all nations, that we would draw so close and walk so closely to Jesus that people can sense a difference no matter where it is we are in the city or around the world. So thank you for this church. Thank you, God, that you're our foundation. And as we go into the word now, Lord, may you speak to us. Uh, may we hear you uh, and your heart uh, for your church uh, this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm titling the, the sermon this morning. It's uh, fitting, uh, I suppose. <laughs> on on I just added. I'm gonna remove the confetti everywhere. I shouldn't. I should have thought about this uh, before I did it. But uh, I'm gonna speak about God's greatness. It's fitting that on our anniversary Sunday as a church that we speak about God's greatness and we speak about His faithfulness and who He is. Because ultimately, without Him, uh, there wouldn't be a church. There wouldn't be an LLC without Christ and His sacrifice. And his love for us as his people, his reconciliation work on the cross that brought us close to him, that allowed us to have a relationship with him, we wouldn't have a church and we wouldn't be gathered here, though virtually, uh, as a church body. And I just want to start off by, by, by saying that I, I'm so... Um, uh, 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 I'm so privileged to be serving here at church. I love you guys. I love our ministry. I love hearing from all the different congregations. And it really just shows the diversity and the richness of his body, uh, how God brings different people together. And he is beyond language. He's be beyond cultural differences. God moves and works in amazing ways. And uh, 37 years is really a testimony uh, to that. As I think about uh, Isaiah 40, uh, 25 to 31, uh, it's a familiar passage for many of us. And I had another passage in mind, but this week God really convicted me of this from Isaiah 40. So I'm going to preach it and share uh, with us uh, th this morning. I want to uh, say that it's important uh, for us to understand God's greatness. And for us here living in Vancouver and in your own life, it's also important for us to have, have power 
uh, right? Like in our, the homes that we live, the lives that we have, it's important to have power. I'm not talking about like, you know, power over people. I'm saying power, like, like the energy, uh, that, 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 that kind of power. And I remember three years ago or, or so that uh, we, our, our city, our, our part of the city ran out of power. I think it was a windstorm and it knocked out the power and Ryan wasn't born yet. And Cohen was pretty young. Uh, and I remember uh, the lights being out, we couldn't cook. Uh, we, I couldn't find my hot pot stove, <laughs> so I couldn't make anything. It wasn't for that long. Maybe it was like the afternoon or four, four or four, five hours or so, but it was a long time with the kid. And that's the only time where the 100 candles I bought from Ikea was a good idea. And we were able to lay it all out <laughs> and light the room and, and whatnot. But uh, we played card games. We enjoyed each other this time, but it was also nerve wracking. We're like, hey, when's the power going to come out? You know, this was fun for the first hour, right? With all the candles and stuff. But when they all starts burning out, like what, what's going to what's going to happen? Uh, and we couldn't leave because the strata, we couldn't figure out how to open the garage gate because that depends on power <laughs> as well. We couldn't leave the apartment because all the locks, um, for some reason, I don't know why, like during the emergency, when the power turns off, you would think everything thing unlocks, but actually didn't unlock the emergency power tightened everything and we couldn't leave but power is important like we, it's important to have power in our lives and it's terrible when we don't have this power uh, e even rural parts of ghana uh, africa understand this for those that have been on the mission strip uh, that we've been to ghana they have these little power stations in the middle middle of the village these little wooden huts with straw uh, this these huts these clay huts with straw roofs and middle of it you will see a charging station <laughs> it's very interesting someone will have a generator to charge their cell phones uh e even they understand this in real ghana it's important to have power we need power our cities need power whether it's electric solar hydro uh whatever it is our bodies need power you need to eat uh you need to eat my, my son had uh for his first taekwondo lesson um and he was like i gotta eat because i need power to go through his taekwondo lessons uh, so he can beat me up afterwards. I don't know why I signed him up uh, for something like that, uh, just to use it against me. Uh, our, our, our cities need power, our bodies need power, but I also want to say our spirit, our souls, we need spiritual power as well, that we need the spiritual power. And I don't know if you know this, but God wants you to walk in spiritual power. God wants you to have the spiritual power. God wants you to experience all his goodness, all his greatness, everything that he is. He wants to have this relationship with us uh, as his church. And I'll be honest. I need to be honest. And I'm, I'm part of this, uh, this, this thought here that sometimes as Christians, we become really good at talking about spiritual power, but instead of living it out, uh, we become really good in talking about spiritual power instead of living in spiritual power. That it becomes an idea, it becomes a thought, but we, we, we often are so busy or so bogged down or so tired that we don't experience this spiritual power. But God wants us. He wants us. He wants you to have the spiritual power. He wants this church to be spirit-filled, uh, to, be, uh, to be empowered by who he is, not for us to walk around with a deficiency, uh, to walk around deficient of the spiritual power. We have this great God who wants to give greatly. And maybe today, as you join in on the service, that you want to be filled as well with this uh, spiritual power. Uh, and I know that's the prayer that we've been praying as a leadership and, and uh, for the church, uh, for our whole church to be spirit-filled and to be empowered uh, by him. But just know that this spiritual power that I'm speaking about today from Isaiah 40, it's not reserved for the leaders only for the deacons of the church. It's not reserved for us pastors only, you know, only pastors have this spiritual power <laughs> that's from God. No, it's for all people because we are the priesthood of all believers. 
Uh, all of us that belong to Christ can have the spiritual power. It doesn't matter what your calling is. It doesn't matter what your vocation is. God wants every believer to experience him and to have the spiritual power that he has for us. And there's some encouragement for us this morning from Isaiah 40 as a church, as we move into uh, the 38th year. And I want to encourage us with this thought that we have to remember this morning, God's greatness and how remembering God's greatness helps us to experience God's goodness as well. That when we remember his greatness, we experience his goodness. And that's because God's greatness is our strength. As a church, it's not on how many people we have. It's not on how many gifts and talents. It's not on all, all the things that we can do. The greatness of us as Christians, the greatness of his church is because God is great. God's greatness is our strength as a church. It's not dependent on us and what we can do. It's dependent on who God is and who Jesus is and who the Holy Spirit is. God's greatness is our strength. And we spend way too much time. We spend way too much time talking about the bad things that we forget who God is. So I'm hoping that this morning we realign ourselves, not to ignore the bad things, ignore the problems, because we, we ought to deal with them. Like God calls us to be problem solvers too. But God calls us more to focus on him and to remember him. We talk so much about the bad that we forget about the good, the goodness of God. And what if we spent more time remembering the greatness, remembering the greatness of God? How would that change our lives? And Isaiah is a, a fascinating book and I had the privilege this week, which I'll share a little bit later to read through the entire book. Uh, it's 66 chapters, which really in a way mirrors the Bible with, with 66 books. And Isaiah 1 to 39 is about God's judgment. You can read through it. It's uh, quite terrifying. <laughs> God's judgment against the northern kingdom of Israel. Because if you remember, uh, the people of God were split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. The southern kingdom uh, was more faithful where the city of God, Jerusalem, is in. But the northern kingdom always suffered with uh, not having good kings and, and poor judgment and idol worship and whatnot. So the first 39 chapters is about the judgment on Northern Kingdom. Assyria comes and takes over. And uh, this king, uh, Shanad Terib, uh, comes and is, is relentless in, in, in his pursuit of destroying God's people. So he takes over Northern Kingdom and he's at camp about to take over the Southern Kingdom. And he's like, Jerusalem, I want it. I'm going to go and siege that city. And we read in Isaiah 37, 36, as Isaiah is in camp, seeing the army that's about to come and invade the city, they're sitting there just praying and waiting. And overnight in Isaiah 37, 36, God says, I'm faithful and I'm good. And, 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 and the angel of the Lord sweeps over the camp where 185,000 soldiers die overnight and the city is safe. And you can read over that in the history books because the historians are trying to figure out, was it a plague? Maybe it was the bubonic plague that came over because there's historical documents of that happening, that the city of God was protected and God's covenant was faithful. So, so that's chapter 1 to 39. And Isaiah 40 is a prophecy of God's comfort amidst all the judgment, all the pain, all the suffering. You see a theme connected to last week to now. Everything that's going on, God is faithful. God comforts his people, the nation of Israel. God is saying, I'm not finished with you. I'm not finished. It seems like the nations are coming in. The nations are invading the city, invading this nation, but I am not done with you. I am not done. My covenant is good. I am still great because your strength is not in your army. It's not in how many soldiers you have, not in how many swords and shields that you have. Your strength is in my greatness. God's greatness is 
our strength, if we ought to be still and remember that and reflect upon that and realize God is still present and God has not forgotten his promises. As we go into the text, we'll see there's certain things that stops us from seeing God's greatness and comparison stops us from seeing God's greatness because comparison stops us from seeing God's greatness. What do I mean by this? Verse uh, 25, to whom will you compare me or who is my equal says the Holy one in ministry and as a church and as Christians, we get in trouble when we start comparing God to something else or someone else. We, when we start comparing our churches, our ministry, our gifts and talents, our people, uh, when we start comparing those, we're not really, it's really a sign of, of discontentment. Our comparison is a discontentment, not in who we are, but in who God is and what he has provided and who he says he is. If God has made all things and he's the giver of all good things, then when we compare who we, what, uh, who we are and what we got and what we have, we're either directly or indirectly, I'm not sure which one it is, it's probably both, comparing God to those other things that we're, we're discontent with who God is and what he's provided and what he has done. And in a way, when we do that, we're not acknowledging and seeing what God is doing. And God starts off here by, by speaking to his people, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Says who? Says the Holy One, holy meaning set apart. Right? Who will you compare me? Who is my equal? Says the Holy One, says the one that is set apart that no one else can be compared to. Even in this short phrase, we understand that no one compares uh, to this God that we have, this God that we worship, this Jesus, who's the cornerstone of his church, that everyone that, know, that knows God, every human being is made unique in this God, by this God, that every church is powered by this God that no one else can be compared to. And for some of you, this illustration um, might help uh, on some sites. If you've been doing a lot of online shopping uh, because of the pandemic, uh, you see this at the bottom of the page. If you're buying this, on the bottom of the page, you might see something like this. Other items you might like, right? You know, when you're, you're scrolling, it says, well, because you bought that spatula, you might like this other spatula. That's exactly the same, but a different color, right? So it's like, oh, I need two spatulas because I like all the different color sets. Like it, they get you in that way. But here's the thing, it, with God, there is nothing else like him. There is no other box. That box will be blank. It'll be empty. There's nothing else in the same category as the God that we worship. But we forget that. We compare this God to other things, to that thought. Well, this, that this other person is saying this, or this other church is doing that, or, 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 or we, start, we start comparing what we think is best to who this God is. But God is saying, to whom will you compare me to? Who is my equal? It reminds us of Job 38, 4 to 5. Where were you when he's speaking to Job? When I laid the earth's foundations, tell me if you understand. Who marked off his dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? It's a rhetorical question. But God is saying, who will you compare me to? You need to realize how great I am. I am who I am. And verses 25 to 29, we get a glimpse of who God is. God is holy. God is creator. God is great and mighty, powerful, everlasting, increases in strength. He does not faint. This is the God that we have. This is the God that every single one of us here as Christians, as believers, has this direct relationship with. And the problem with comparison, the moment that we compare 
is not only this uh, discontentment, but comparison kills our creativity. Comparison kills our uniqueness. Comparison kills our authenticity as a church, as a people of God. Comparison kills our contentment, but comparison kills our joy in the Lord. Because we forget what he has given us. We forget who he is. And we don't focus on him, but we focus on the problem. And we focus what we don't have instead of the great God that we do have and what he is doing in our specific setting here in LLC and specifically in your, or own, in your own life. And I find myself guilty of this. I find myself, that's why I'm preaching this because I've, I've said this before. Everything I'm preaching to us today, I'm preaching it first to myself. But I see my heart wonder. I see myself be, uh, being discontent and my eyes and, and going elsewhere. I find myself guilty of comparing God and who he is and what he's doing against my own expectations, against what I think is best. Instead of saying, God, you're, you know what you're doing. There is no one else I can compare you with. That is line A. That is who God is. And, to, and, and for us, and how do we do this though? For us to look to the one that is like no one else. In the biblical language, often it goes from shifting our eyes from things on earth to things above, right? Think about that in Colossians. I said your, your eyes on things above, not on things below. That's the biblical language that when we seek God, we set our eyes on things above. And here at Isaiah, he says the same thing here. Looking up to the heavens gives us perspective of God's greatness. So comparison, it stops us from seeing God's greatness because we, we're not focusing on the right thing. So, so it's to focus on the right thing, we need to look up. Looking up to the heavens gives us perspective of God's greatness, not just physically with our eyes, though that helps, but with our hearts as well, that we need to set our hearts on things, things above. Verse 26, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Looking up to the heavens gives us perspective of God's greatness. And God's greatness is our strength. That every time we look up, every time we look to the heavens, every time our heart rises to the things above and remember who he is, that's when we draw on his strength and remember who he is. Lifting up our eyes to God above will give us strength in seeing things on the earth below. I stumbled upon this website this week. It's called Name a Star, uh, where you can name any star in the Canadian sky. Maybe some of you uh, know this that are fascinated with the star sky, uh, with the sky. Uh, for a cheap price of $29.95, uh, you could name a standard star for someone. So if you're looking for a gift, uh, it seems like that's a good one. For $59.95, you could name an extra bright star <laughs> for someone. For $89.95, you can name a binary star. There's two stars in the sky. Add an extra $10, you can even get a wooden certificate to wrap the certificate for this people. I'm being cheeky and funny about it, but I find it fascinating that you can name any star in the sky. But here we see in this verse 26 here, God has already named them, right? So we're going to ask the creator first. He already has a name for every single star in the sky. That's how great this God is that we worship. He knows every single star in the sky. Why, why does God bring up the stars here? Like, why does he ask us to lift up on the things on the skies? Because the thing is with this, in, in ancient times, the stars and the universe and the planets were the most stable thing out there. 
you look every night, the stars will show up every day. The sun will show up. It was as a sign of stability. And God is saying, and as he's talking to the people of Israel here in Isaiah, as they are idol worshiping, as they're worshiping other things on earth that are unstable, that are shifting. There's, there's a hilarious passage. Uh, I find it hilarious anyways. Hilarious passage in verse in, in Isaiah 44, where, where Isaiah is talking about making idols. And he's saying, do you not realize that half of the wood that you use to make the idol, you're also using to make the fire that you're using to make the idol? So half of the wood that you're using, you make a fire. And the other half, you're making your idols. So how can the idol have any power because half of it, you're using it for fuel and the other half, you're making this idol that's saying it's so holy. How does it make any sense at all? But he is saying here, God is above all these things. The most stable thing that you know, because these idols still rot, no matter what wood, everything here on earth will pass away. The stars, the most stable thing you know, who made those? Imagine the power of the creator who made the stars then. Imagine, imagine that. That's who it is that we worship. This is the God that we have. But unlike these idols and like these things on earth, he's saying to shift your eyes, not on things on earth that will fade away, but on things above, because this God, he truly has great power and mighty strength. And he created the heavens. And because the planets and the stars are seen as stable and constant forever, imagine this God, and how constant he can be in your life. And he is in your life. Church, this is important. It's going to drain you of all your energy and all your strength if we're going to focus on the temporary things. It's going to drain everything that you have. doesn't matter how quickly you can replenish it. doesn't matter how much you sleep, how much you rest, how many vacations you go on, whatever your perfect retreat is going to be. If you're going to keep focusing on the temporary things as a church, as a person, it's going to drain you. Instead of focusing on this great God and this great power that he has. And too many times we focus on the things here on earth that are shaking, shifting, instead of looking up and focusing on this God that we have. When God is trying to get your attention the whole time, he's explaining to us here how great he is. He mentions here, another reason why he mentions the stars is because He's trying to get our attention, explain to us the biggest thing that we can think of. The biggest thing that we can think of, what else is more massive than the universe, right? Nothing. God is trying to relate to us, to illustrate to us how amazing he is. He's saying he's going to find the biggest thing to illustrate that, and it's going to be the universe. The universe, which apparently is 93 billion light years in diameter, takes 93 billion light years. That's how vast this universe is that holds an estimated 2 trillion galaxies, 2 trillion galaxies. And we're one Milky Way is one galaxy of the 2 trillion and an estimated in the whole universe, 1 billion trillion stars. I don't even know how many zeros that is. And our sun is just one of the 1 billion trillion stars. And God is saying all of that. I know all of that I made, there's no part of the universe that is unknown to me. That is how great I am. So what are you going to focus on now? The problem that, that's before us, the temporary thing? He's like, no, folk, lift your eyes. Look up and remember. 
and that makes me feel small as one person on this one planet in the whole universe. But God isn't going to trivialize your problem either. He doesn't trivialize you. He's just telling you he's much greater than your problems. He's much greater than the problems that you're facing, the impossibility that you're facing, the problems of your church and your ministry, of the challenges that we see. He's saying that he can handle your problems and then some. We might have some big problems, but God is saying, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. We might have some big problems, but we have an even bigger God, an even bigger God than whatever it is that you're going through. Whatever problems you think we're facing as a church and as a people, personally, we will have, and whatever problems you think you will have, God is saying, reminding us, lift, lift up your eyes, look up. I'm here. I'm that great. God's greatness is our strength. Lift up your eyes. And I love this language here. Look to the heavens. Another way of translating that look is to become aware. Become aware of the heavens. For some of us today, this morning, we just need a realization. We need to be, become aware that God is that great. That God is that amazing. That God is there for us. And sometimes we're so busy that we miss out on how awesome this God is. We're so focused on the minute things, the temporary things, that we forget to be still. We forget to reflect and we miss out on how great and how awesome this God is. And sometimes we might pay attention, more attention to our Instagram feed, our Twitter feed, our Facebook feed, our emails, than we pay attention to who God is. Sometimes we just need to stop and rest and be still and to focus and to realize, God, you are great. That is the peace that you need for the day. That is the stillness that you need for the day. Do you know what God is doing in our world? Do you see what God is doing in our church? Do you see what God is doing in your life? How he is working and how he's drawing you closer to him, how he has his, he's trying to get your attention. And maybe next time you come across a problem or you're frustrated by a situation for you to pause and to check, where are you looking at that moment? Are you looking to things above? Are you lifting up your eyes and looking to the heavens? Or are you focusing down below and trusting in your own strength? Because where you look makes all the difference. Where you look makes all the difference. And finally, waiting on God is what gives us our strength. Because you're asking, how do I get this strength? It's fascinating. It's not by trying harder, by pushing harder, but it's by being more still. <laughs> I love that. Waiting on God gives us strength waiting on God, sitting down and being still and waiting on him to act, that's what gives us our strength. When you wait on him in prayer, when you come together as a fellowship and you wait on him together, when you come together as a church every single Sunday, that's what we're doing here. We're waiting on him. We're waiting for God to show up. When we wait for him to show up is in these moments where we receive rest. When we pause, we receive rest and God fills us up. And he says here, why do you complain, Jacob? the southern kingdom. Why do you say Israel, the northern kingdom? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disgraced by my God. Even though God knows every single star and he created all things in the universe, this is a personal statement. It's, 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 it's not a condemnation statement. He knows us by name too. He knows everyone. Even though he created all the heavens and stars, though God is so great, he still knows you personally. 
that he's not so busy that he's he, that's too busy for your problems. He's not too busy to be in your life. But he's challenging us here that we complain not because that's actually the case of, that God is hidden and that he doesn't know our ways. We compl- but we complain because not, it's not because God hasn't seen. It's because we haven't seen who this God, who this God is. We haven't seen who this God is. It goes on in verse 28. Do you not know then? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord or those who wait in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Church, this passage doesn't belong on a t-shirt and on a mug or on your wall. It's meant to be written on your heart, to be carried with you no matter where it is that you go, that no matter where it is that we go, that we wait on the Lord, that we hope in the Lord. That we be still, we draw strength from the Lord because our, our, our strength comes from God's greatness. His greatness is our strength. We will not faint and we will not grow weary, not because of our own strength, not because of our own gifts and passions, but we will not faint and grow weary because God will not faint. God will not faint and God does not grow weary. And some of you need to hear, some of us need to hear this this morning. And it's definitely been freeing to me it doesn't depend on you and your own strength. And you need to be free from that this morning. That you've been clawing your way through and trying to do everything on your own. It doesn't depend on your own strength. Yes, you have responsibility. Yes, you have to show up for your family and in your relationships. Yes, you need to put in the effort. But ultimately, God is the one supplying everything. God is the one that supplies the power behind it all. And when we realize his greatness, that's when we're tapping into his strength. And we are renewed. And we soar on wings like eagles, like this promise here. But when we don't remember how great God is, we end up depending on ourselves. We end up draining ourselves. We, when we forget that God is provider and the one who gives all things are good, we end up relying on ourselves. And we burn out and we stumble and we fall. But since the Lord is everlasting and the creator of the ends of the earth, and since he will not grow weary and he will not tire, we're reminded here that he definitely has the ability to give you strength, that he is enough for you, that he will never grow tired and weary. And that's a promise that he is enough for you, whatever it is that you're going through. And I love this part too, that God, he's not waiting around waiting for people to work for him. We kind of think about, you know, God as this, you know, tyrant that's just waiting to collect people to like, you know, build my kingdom, you know, like that that kind of, that kind of thought. Like that's not God. Like he can do all things on his own power and strength. God is not waiting for us just to use us. But what God is looking for, he's actually looking for people to give his strength to. This is what this passage is about. He wants to give you his strength. He's waiting. He's looking. He's like, who here wants my strength? I want to give you my strength. I want to give you my greatness. I want to give you my power. I want to give you all that I am because you are my people. And I want you to flourish. 
I don't want you to run around depending on yourselves. I want you to wait on me. I want you to hope in me. I want you to, 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 to be in relationship with me, to eagerly search for me. That's what that word means in Hebrew for hope. Kava, it means to eagerly search, to eagerly search for me, to look for me. And I want to end here with a few thoughts for us. If I haven't given you a few thoughts already. But how do we wait? How do we wait? There's an element of trust when it comes to waiting. So to wait on the Lord means to trust in the Lord that what we're waiting for will show up. Right? When you're waiting for something, you're trusting that it's going to show up. Whether it's a person, whether it's the bus, whether it's that Uber delivery driver, <laughs> that, the airplane, uh, it's going to show up. There's an element of trust. But as you're waiting and you're hoping, there's also an element of seeking as well. Right? You're looking. You're, lo you're looking. When's that delivery going to come? When's that bus going to come? When's that person going to walk through the door? Right? When you're on that date. <laughs> when is that person going to show up? You're, you're seeking. You're, you're seeking that person. That's the same attitude. When we're hoping in the Lord, we're waiting on the Lord, we're seeking for him to show up as well. One of my favorite moments uh, when I'm doing wedding ceremonies is looking at, uh, at, the, at the bridegroom as, and the anticipation as the bride's about to walk down the aisle. That anticipation, that's the illustration that we have in seeking the Lord, that anticip anticipation in who uh, he, God is. But for us, if you do not know what you're seeking and what you're looking for, you will not trust as well. If you do not know who you're seeking for and what you're looking for, you will not know who you're waiting for. For us this morning, we have to remember that this God that we're looking for, he's great. He's awesome. He's kind. He's loving. He's patient. He's merciful. He has only good things for you. So as we wait for God, we're waiting for his delivering. We're waiting for saving. We're waiting for him to answer our prayers, to provide for our needs, to renew our strength. We're waiting as a church and as a people of God to do what only God can do. That is what we're waiting for this morning. And I mentioned, I know I'm going over time, but I mentioned this this week that I read through all 66 chapters and I normally don't get a chance to do that, but it's because I had a privilege to go on a 24-hour personal retreat that was so filling that in that moment, I was just floored by Isaiah 40. I was convicted of my, how I've been depending on my own strength and doing things in my own power without realizing that God's like, hello, I'm here for you. I've been here the whole time. Lift up. Don't look deeper within because there is nothing within. I am the one that gives you. Is that, you don't draw, what are you, what are you drawing from? I am the one that gives you. You know, dig, dig deeper, like, that phrase, I'm not sure. Like, without God, what are you digging deeper into? Right? Because you're empty. But I was floored as I was reading this, just that, that how God convicts us. Even though we're faithless, he is faithful. Even though we rejected him so many times, he still says, I am here for you. So I hope you hear the message today. It's a message of grace. It's a message of a second and third and fourth chance. It's a message of God saying, wait on me, hope on me, church because I've been here for the last 37 years and I am going to be there for the 38th. I am going to be here until you see me again, face to face in heaven. And it's going to be so good, but you can experience that here on earth every single day.
So church, what are you waiting for today? As a church, we have things as a corporate body, but personally as well, what are you waiting for? God is able. God can fill you in who you are and what you're seeking. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and for your kindness. We thank you, Lord, that we can depend on you, that our, that, that, that our strength, it's dependent on your greatness. God, this morning, we want to marvel and just worship you for who you are. We declare as a church and as a people that you are great, you are holy, and we are unworthy, yet you know us. Yet you went on a rescue mission by sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us so that we can have new life in this relationship with this great God that you are. Father, we commit ourselves to you again as a church. We say yes to you again as a church, that we worship you, that we glorify you. And we're saying yes to the rest that you want to give us. So God, as a tired church, as a tired people, we say, Lord, we don't want to depend on ourselves anymore. We want to hang on to you and every word that you speak. Free us from ourselves. Free us from the thought that we can do all things. It is you who can do all things. I mean, we lean on you evermore as we go into the 38th year. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.